Mutiny Radio listeners. This is Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People with your host, Sima Lieberman. She is stuck in horrific traffic coming from the other side of the bay. But we have an incredible show for you today. Uh, I'm going to be your sort of fill-in host, Pam Benjamin. We've got the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival happening right now. And so all the shows are super special because we have super special guests uh, like our guests today, both out of the northern hinterlands. We have Todd Kirkwood and Bernice Ye of Seattle. Yay! Hi! Say hi! Hello! Hello! Yes! Radio! Thank you for having us. Yes! And um, so Sima usually has people start out and explain what they look like to the audience. For example, I am a 44-year-old white lady. Uh, I was... I I don't I'm born and raised in California, so I consider myself better than everyone else. Uh, no, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding, but kind of like I was de- I was raised differently racially. Like, anyways, uh, but I am a white lady, and I didn't realize I was raised super racist until I was an adult, and that was interesting. So I'm sort of like the white guilt really backtracks me. Uh, but so so people can you know I'm I'm five five. I have brown hair and green eyes, and I am. Uh, trying to fight wrinkles so what are what, explain to the audience what you guys look like Go ahead, oh please okay yes uh i'm bernice Ye, but um you know i am uh i am a chinese born and raised in china i am uh um five three short um Chinese lady. <laughs> I'm 36 years old. Um, so, you know, I came to the States when I was 21. I've been living in Seattle, so uh, Indiana for two years and then uh, Seattle for 13 years now. Awesome. Oh, yeah. So, um, what a fun exercise of describing what you look like. <laughs> it's a self reflective uh, bit of a mess. Uh, so, I'm, let's start with size, like 6'2. Um, I'm Mexican, uh, but I'm white. I half. I have jokes about it, but I'm, uh, my mom was white and my dad was Mexican. Uh, so I am ambiguous, some people think. I don't know. I always kind of thought like it, I looked very Mexican, but a lot of people don't know what to make of me. You, I would, if I saw you on the street, I would guess like Iran. Yeah, I get, like I get that. Palestinian, maybe? I've gotten like Moroccan. I've gotten sure, kind of different sure. things. So I'm kind of uh, brown skinned, um, but I'm in Seattle. I don't get enough son I, I was born and raised in southern california i moved up to seattle after college um so up there i'm very i'm much pastier than i'm happy with uh, <laughs> i would love to be a nice golden brown that i could be but i'm yeah kind of uh, light skinned on that so um and then i've uh kind of a patchy bad beard and dark black hair so it is kind of a whole look i've got going on here um and it gets i don't know people think it's not white but they don't know what to make of it normally so it's kind of a uh, how old are you uh, I'm 38 years old. Oh, yeah. wow. We're all in the same sort of range. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> interesting. Because <laughs> that, that, whatever you're doing with your skincare regimen, it don't crack. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank and you, you should uh, look forward to the future. The global warming will make it warmer in Seattle. Therefore, you can get more sunlight. Perfectly I poised think. for the global warming. Yeah, yeah it's going to be great. Gonna I'm on a hill, awesome. so when the water rises, I'll have waterfront property. It's very yeah. set up up there. I'm, yeah. Um, I've got like the 40-year plan for it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I felt the same way when I, I lived in San Diego I was like we're, we're up on this crest and when the, just the waters are gonna rise we're gonna have, get a boat <laughs> <laughs> moored up to the back um, what are you guys this is like a yeah, let's get political you, you're Mexican. What are you feeling about this whole wall thing? 
Oh, it's all very ridiculous. I'm very uh, pro-immigration. Like, I would just let everyone in. I would basically hand people an iPhone and a gun and say, Welcome to America. You're American now. I really... I don't have any problems with it. I think it's... I've always thought it was ridiculous. You just look through history and you're like, We had every immigrant to America... And they were all vilified, and then they were fined 40 years later, you know, all the way back to Irish, Italians, and then Chinese, and then all of that. And then just happens to be Mexicans now, or whatever, for that. But at the same time, you're like, oh, we have Indians and other uh, Asians are coming into the country, and that's fine. And we're all like, it's a, it's a country of immigrants, and it's weird that people seem to think it's not. Right. And and um, the land that we're on this very second was Mexico. So we yeah. like stole yeah. Mexico. <laughs> yeah. And then we're like, we're going to put this border up, and now you can't come this way. And, and I mean, it just seems like it's all not a very thin veil of racism. Oh, very, it's exactly. Like, it's, it's just crazy to me, too, that it's... And you're, and you're an immigrant from China, so, like, do you ever feel pushback from people like does anyone ever say something like get out of our country or something stupid like that well for the china it's like i i think actually we have always very welcome the foreigners and it's very different um, spirit i think it's very difficult to become a citizen mm. but even grow up like i think even so i think the chinese are very politically incorrect so we don't <laughs> we don't know what is politically correct but, but, so uh, give me an example like oh my god it's so terrible like so we will openly make all kinds of fun mean jokes about the Indians but we didn't oh. mean bad things like like you know for you so we're the just, Chinese are racist against the Indians we're racist about, against everybody <laughs> you know we can okay. we call the white people the white devil you all know right, all right. fair enough fair enough on the white devil like, wait, what other what other racism like I heard that the Chinese people and the Japanese people hate each other because there was like a crazy war and yeah. there was all this killing and it's, it was only like what 150 years ago or something mm-hmm. where they were just like crazy ass murder Mm-hmm. And so I can see. Well, it was like World War Two and stuff like that. Like well, the, but even the, earlier than that. Oh yeah, like of course, was, earlier. Yeah, there was the there was. I mean, I should know. There was. I, is it the the box or something happened with the heroin and the chips and the English? It was the English's problem. See, I'm such. You probably know the the history better because you took all the classes to be an American. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, for that part, but then you know, only for the test, and I very quickly forget. Yeah. <laughs> That test is impossible for any U.S. citizen to pass, by the way. Like, I've seen it, and you're like, oh, well, I might get deported. I don't know any of these answers. I think we should ask the president. I was I was reading some of the questions um, because of your joke about the Federalist things and all that stuff. And one of the questions is, what are the first five words of the Constitution? Which is pretty, or the first three words. And I was saying to my boyfriend, Jonathan, like, could, if we ask the president what the first three words of the Constitution right now, would he know what they are? Oh, no. And but, I would have to say definitely not. Definitely not. Do, do either of you know what the first three words of the Constitution are? Yeah. We the people. That's exactly it. We the people. <laughs> not I the person. We the people. I feel even worse because I was just in D.C. last week and I saw it and I couldn't remember what the... I was like, we oh. the people. The but United you know what? I'll tell you about this real quick. The Declaration of Independence, right? The Nicholas Cage. We're going to steal it. Horribly faded. It's terrifying to look at like it's it's quite large when you see it in person and it's quite faded and they had the lights very low in the room and everything like that but you can see this this piece of paper that's 200 you know, 220 years old or whatever yeah. and it's wild to be like 
that's it that and you can see it and it's right there but it is uh very faded and uh i was like does this reflect the state of america is this bad i don't know that's sad right yeah Yeah. i was like oh is this are we is this like a dorian gray thing is this like this country falling apart with this right here maybe i saw the um I saw the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, fragments of them at, oh. um, at a museum, and those are like 4,000 years old, and they're pretty well preserved. It was like, wow. But when you're looking at artifacts that are that old, and you're like, history is that old, and like, what was the, I guess the racism back then was like, I have more money, you're a slave. Oh, I mean, the how caste did that system, work? yeah. Well, like, I mean, in, in Egypt, right? Like, you were either a slave, or a, I don't know what, what who knows but it's like what is the value of human life and have we as a people moved past maybe we haven't though because they're building that fifa thing in the qatar and they've been using immigrant labor oh, just yeah. like just like we used to this oh. is a crazy thing we used to do to the chinese and i learned about this recently when they built the railroads we would get them to do like let's go build this tunnel it would be like at the end of their work and they hadn't been paid and rather than paying them people would just be like go in that tunnel over there and then they'd blow up the fucking tunnel oh my god (gasps) so they wouldn't have to pay the workers and they'd be like whatever oh this is terrible to say but i almost feel this not not related to that this is gonna be bad segue i feel comforted by the fact that it's always been horrible when i look at today (laughs) like because i get i get I get upset about today and where we're at. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is the worst. And then I'll look through history. And I'm like, oh no, it's always been horrible. And it, I feel yeah. that makes me feel better for today. But also, like, we could do better. Obviously, I it's mean, like, I, well, and that's the thing is that we're looking at this huge division now, and it seems that there are people that are like, hey, oh, multiculturalism is awesome. It only helps us become better when we use different perspectives to come up with some side sort of answer. Oh, anytime it's blending. I, I'm, um, that's a weird stance to take, especially from being from Seattle, but um, like appropriation in that word always puts me on the back foot because I think cultures are beautiful when they blend. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Latino itself, Chicano from Southern California is very much a blend of the white experience and the Mexican experience and what that brings to the table. Sure. Like the food, the music and all of that is a blending of cultures. So it's, to say appropriation, you know, exploitation, of course, but things have to, you have to be free to mix, you know, and yeah. you, can't, you can't be mad at people for experimenting with, you can't have this purity be like, oh, that's not yours. You can't use it. But that's how right. things get blended and made. And that's how things are better. You know, I make badass flour tortillas because they're white. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't make I, I don't I'm not good at making corn tortillas, but I make a badass flour tortilla. Oh, I'm on board. Uh, this, I always say I'm on board with flour tortillas over corn every day, and I get yelled at all the time for I, that decision. I get, I, yeah. I'm like, we invented the flour tortilla. Why are we going back to corn? It's fine, whatever. But yeah. Sometimes in some applications, like on a fish taco, I, like a little street taco and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. but but if you're doing, it's flour yeah. I actually really agree with the preparation part because you know. People make a big deal when a white person wear that traditional Chinese dress. Oh, sure. Oh, that is a big thing, yeah. Right, it's a really big thing. But I actually remember growing up in China is that whenever a foreigner wear the Chinese traditional dress, we love it. Actually, we love it because we feel like, oh my God, they're trying to like appreciate the culture. And they're trying to like, it actually looks good (laughs) on everybody. So we actually feel very happy to see. I think in America, there is a very different mentality. So I think it's it's a very American American thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Definitely. then if... In- racism. <laughs> we love racism. We have our brand of it. Come on. Yeah. We have our racism is red, white, and blue. It's very... You know, it's our yeah, brand. because all of a sudden when it's considered inappropriate and when you do it and now it is 
inappropriate and everybody here will told you no that's that's not cool you know their appropriation or culture but um i actually was a shock to me because um growing up like we see when always like we like you know it's the same as somebody was trying to say um learn chinese say ni hao in in Chinese, in China, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I well, there was the girl who was heckling you the other night who speaks fluent Chinese, which <laughs> was the weirdest experience oh, I've ever. In Chinese, I, I was like, "How is this happening right now?" Oh my god, I have just the listeners. This was, uh, I would say, uh, mid forties, a white woman uh, would not have, and it were just outside before the show, and she just bust out in full Chinese, and I was like, "What is happening right now?" <laughs> and Bernice was just talking with her, and that was amazing. I thought you guys were having a positive experience. She comes into the show. And <laughs> just talks through the whole comedy show yeah. like a monster. Yeah, she doesn't understand. She she doesn't understand that heckling isn't helping. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't understand, and it's a cultural thing. I think Com- comedy is its own culture. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so that's, yeah. those who are in comedy know there are certain rules. There are certain things you do, and there's also certain like things in the language, like. When you say, I'm going to finish up with this, or I'm going to... There's certain lingo that we use, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? There's uh, You're bombing, you're killing, you're, <laughs> you're running the light. There's all kinds of things that are specific to comedy. But sometimes audience members don't... They Now they're watching Netflix, and they're like, I can talk to my TV screen. Oh, yes. <laughs> and so now when it's like comedy is a live experience, and people aren't used to that, and they get here, and they don't know the culture, they think that because comedy's like I'm interacting with you but it's like it's a one-way conversation where you show me that you're listening by laughing or clapping yeah like, so many people that you talk to and it's I, I, it's like you said it's a culture and they're just ignorant of that but not you know not but they just don't know but so many people when you talk to them they'll be like oh I was I thought I was helping I thought I was helping yeah and you're like no this is mm-hmm. not and a lot of people don't realize uh, the, the performance and the these are sets these are practice this is well rehearsed this is not off most people think it's off the top and we do do some off the top shows but a lot of it when you're on a real show that's that's well and that's uh, george carlin always did that so george carlin always worked with the script and you could watch him from show to show and they were exactly the same but when you're watching it or if you were there i never saw him in person sad face but it was like he was making it up except you Mm. knew it was a script and that's the crazy thing when you're like watching someone like bill hicks he makes it look like like it's he just made it all up just right there and but and it's a script so it's crazy when when you get to that place where you can make your material seem like you're just coming in the moment yeah right if you're really in the moment with practice material is the goal right right and it's hard to get to because like sometimes you're standing outside yourself and sometimes you're there and then we were talking about i wanted to listen to my set from friday because i felt like oh i had this great set and i listened to it and i was like oh i was not as great as i thought i was (laughs) i was really feeding off the energy of the room and i didn't get my material off as people were laughing but it was more like and there was a lot of stuff I've never said before. So I was really like, I'm feeling it right now. I'm feeling it. But then sometimes when you go back to that, I go back to that and I'm like, oh, sweetie, you should just stick with this. <laughs> like, it's, I don't, I shouldn't always like, go off script. And so uh, how long have you been doing comedy now? Uh, coming on eight years. Eight years? Okay. Yeah. I've been four. We were talking about this last night, right? So, yeah, yeah. And I've been only doing it for a year. One yeah. Year, yeah. And you've only been speaking English for 15. So <laughs> like yeah, miracles. Your set was so killer last night with the crying. Jonathan running the board, he started actually crying with you. He was like, I can't, this is, he was crying. And then you flipped it. With <laughs> yeah, I, I literally thought I don't want to tell people the jokes so they should listen to it. But that was, I was 
losing my shit. I was like, that is hilarious. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad because it's something like uh, it means a lot to me. Um, it's something I I think that's kind of the reason drive me through to do comedy. Um, it's telling my story and kind of can like. I think about being a, a, an immigrant coming to this country and what it means to me, mm-hmm. um, sharing that part of the story. But in the meantime, um, I know it's so long. That bit like took me four minutes maybe, and so I was like, I was never really able to squeeze in the three minute open mic to oh, practice. So you know? Funny. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, so it's kind of like the you have only three minute open mics up there. Yeah, the most well, the time. most most of them. Uh, there's some fives, obviously, and never like that. But yeah, huh. like our big uh, comedy underground three minute sets at that mic, right. um, yeah. and laughs the big club three minute sets there. So yeah, that's standard. that's funny for an audience because it's just like if you don't like this one, you might like the next one. That's what it <laughs> you really don't is. Like you this know? one, you're gonna yeah. like this one. <laughs> I never. That's one. That's really funny too because I've always we need them for this craft and I'm very thankful for everyone to come see live comedy but I'm also very heavily like who is going to open mics like I as mean, an audience because it's kind of watching it as a train wreck sometimes are they rooting for the train wreck are they rooting for the laughter or are they just the mixture of both That's is what question. they're there for I would say that a lot of times at the open mics in SF comedy is thrust upon people whether they want it or not <laughs> right. like they go out for a drink and suddenly they're like oh there's people there's people Oh, what the fuck's going on? Right. Like, okay. And now comedy. Because we have so many open mics. But there are a lot of people that are regulars at bars and they love it. They're like, oh, it's Tuesday at OMG. And they've seen it and they love it. And it's like, all right. And I mean, Sunday at Maggie McGarrity's got, I hosted that a couple weeks ago and it was full of people. It was the day before the, the three day weekend. And so everyone, I guess, was out. But I was like, it's just an open mic, but there was a real audience, and it's like, okay. Yeah, oh, we have some some really good open mics where the crowds will come to it, and at those, what ends up happening at those, I've noticed, is that the co- the comedians know, oh, you know what, not doing brand new material. This open mic is really good, and I have to kind of showcase sure. and everything like that. So those, those are just real shows where you just have 15 yeah. killers on a lineup. It's amazing. This happens to be that no one was booked. <laughs> Everyone booked themselves. They just showed up. Those are the most nerve wracking I find. Like when a show's killing and then like if it's, everyone's bombing, I'd never get nervous and going on stage. Same I'm like, here. Oh, I'll Same go up here. and maybe I'll bomb or maybe I'll win the crowd over. But when everyone's killing, I'm like, Oh God, don't bring the vibe down. That's when I panic. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm always just excited to be there. No, I mean, and open mics. I don't give a fuck. I have, <laughs> I have some rules. I like, um, I really enjoy uh, consuming alcohol. But if I have a serious show, like I won't. But if it's an open mic, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Because it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, if it's just other comedians, like, do I, I've been doing this for eight years, I still have to prove myself to you. Right. Like, we're done with that, right? Like me trying to prove myself to other comedians. Like we're, <laughs> we've moved beyond that, have we? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it never, I don't think that ever ends like wanting to try to I mean why else do comedy I'm like I want you to like me I yeah want I, was say, I think we're and wired that like way <laughs> and so I mean you always want the people to like you so it's hard if comedians aren't listening and but then what can you do like you're not listening to me and it's like then it's not a poetry reading yeah I, that's the thing too is I, I come from it has to be of, compelling you it know, has to be compelling I mean. and I sometimes sometimes it's not it's compelling but it's not necessarily like comedy it virgins more into like performance art but that's because i come from a background of poetry mm-hmm. where um i mean people weren't necessarily supportive but they were quiet and if you if you um with poets if 
people are just looking at you, then you have them. Like as long as they aren't getting a drink, talking to their friend or looking at their phone, you're winning. You're fucking winning in poetry, (laughs) right? So when I moved to comedy, I was like, oh, this is great. This is just stage time. Because like in poetry, (laughs) I was very... it was pretentious, but it wasn't, it was, I don't know. I like comedy a lot better. I think comedy is poetry people will actually listen to so that you have the mm. opportunity mm. to be political in a space that has this comedic guy. So it's almost like being the fool or pointing things out to people. But, oh, definitely. But I still wanted to have some political impact because what else is the point? Right. Well, conveying like, your, your, doing. yeah, I don't know. I've, I've always with comedy. I just, I've loved it so much and I feel it's just the purest form of entertainment. It's just a person. I'm going to entertain you. I don't have any music. I don't have a song and dance. There's no screen. There's no special effects or see, it's just a person. And it just right. feels like the oldest sitting around a fire. This is the funny one in the group, you know, <laughs> caveman. Like, I just think it's the oldest form and purest form of entertainment. Right. That can be. And it, that's why it's so delicate in terms of any heckler or anyone can break the moment or like there's a noise on the street it, it, when you're in a good comedy show the room is is laughing but they're focused on one person but right. anything can distract that because it's so engaged. fragile sure yeah. and it's very so so precious these days because everybody's on cell phone like even you go to a live concert people are still like on their phones right yeah, and live comedy that. is like the one of the only thing i can think of top of my head that people would just like put the phone away and focus in the moment yeah, yeah. very much so very much so that they're on there and well and both of you get political about race in your sets i mean we talked about your immigration stories like mm-hmm. great so you're being political on stage do you feel that you're you you talked a little bit about being a half mexican and stuff yeah i talk about my own experiences and stuff like that um i feel like where i'm at with comedy is like so new i think a lot of people try to be edgy or or really crazy early on and i'm like just figure out how to tell the joke a joke you know (laughs) so i feel like i'm kind of at a point where i can start handling heavier stuff Uh, uh but like kind of more like take a stance on something right but yeah most of my stuff right now is just about me like it's very inward and in in that way if anybody says anything it's like well this is my experience so it feels very defensible but larger opinions you know where you're you know, making a stance on something. I'm kind of starting to do that, but uh, I don't know. It's kind of, it's wild. I should have done my abortion jokes last night. <laughs> no, I do a lot. My stuff, I, I specifically try to be political and edgy and bring up topics that, because I, I used to do, for my first, like, say, three years, I primarily did sex jokes because they always worked. Dick jokes always worked. Yeah. And one of my yeah. really great friends, who's a really great comedian, Steve Poggi, he does, he headlines in the Midwest and all that shit. He pulled me aside and he was like, Pam, you are so much smarter than that. <laughs> he's like, yes. And I was like, but that's my bread and butter. Everybody likes it when I talk about my butthole. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I get it. The butthole jokes are funny, but you're better than that. Like, he's like, you can, you're smart enough. You can actually say something yeah. you want. And I was like, oh, Steve, thanks for saying that. And then I started writing more overtly political, like feminist, specifically feminist. Mm-hmm. Just trying to open up people's eyes to like what things are happening in the world. Like I, the, the the abortion stuff is so important to me because I'm like, are we still fucking arguing about this? Like I'm 44 years old. There's a wild place old. that we're back at this, yeah. I'm like, it's, in 1974, I was born, yay, my mom wanted me, but she didn't have to. And thank God that choice existed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, it's a human rights issue as far as I'm concerned, like to be able to be in control of your own body. And if you're not, then, you know, you're enslaved to something else. And 
completely and yeah. then why is that still i like i agree with you it feels like this weird backslide sometimes like why is this still a thing well, like same. why are we back with nazis like what exactly, is going on right now right that's the only sort of lens that I can understand racism through is sexism because I have been raised in an oh. incredibly white privileged home in my, I was raised as like a rich white person and I didn't know it until I wasn't rich anymore till I was an adult. I was like, oh, we had four black people at our school. <laughs> kids you know and 98 percent of my high school went to college like everyone just goes to college right like i was so blinded by money and privilege i had no idea that everybody didn't like i would watch 90210 and i was like this is a reality tv show i mean we'd, i'd be like i have that outfit and it would be the tv so what was mirroring my experience was being mirrored in entertainment at the time in the 90s and I just thought all of that was how everybody lived. Right. I thought everyone was white. I thought everyone had like... It's so much about just exposure is is what is a big thing for me. Like I don't... I think people not... uh, I think the active racist is a very small percentage. Maybe. I don't know. This is how I think of the world. But I think just the casual I wasn't exposed to it. I don't know anything about it. That kind of like... It's not racism but it's just like uncultured they don't know anything about it so that i think that's very prevalent because i've you just meet people and you're like have you ever traveled have you ever been to another country and they're like no and you're like "Mm, Mm. that's a bad sign so there's um my buddy uh who lives in st louis he worked for a while at a sandwich shop and there was an african-american gentleman who was running the cash register and people my buddy steve would say people would not go in his line they had to move him to the kitchen oh, wow. because people were so overtly racist in Missouri wow. that they would not. And this is last year. He told me. This really? Story. Yeah. Oh, and I was God. like, what? Yeah. So there is like that because we're on the coasts now. So I think that mm-hmm. we're like, look, everything's getting better. Like people are multicultural and we get along and yeah. we like, we respect each other. Like we're, yeah. Like, Let's get homeless people off the streets. Yeah, like I don't know. There's there's sort of this socialist mindset I think that exists on the coasts, and I don't know what's happening in the middle. Right. I, yeah, that's true too. And how we have a racist president, and fifty percent of us really voted for that. We're like, on board. Are really? Yeah, in the middle, because I actually, like, you know, spent Indiana. two years in Indiana, right? Because that's actually not too many years after 9-11. So um, in Purdue, where, uh, so I went to Purdue. That's yeah. why I went to Indiana. Big drinking um, school. Yeah, the, uh, the college town is actually nice. There's like a lot of liberal people. But you just go outside one mile. We go to a restaurant. Uh, we have this friend, and he's from Iran. And he's American-born Iranian. And he shows up the entire bar, gets quiet. <gasps> Everybody's wow. there at him that's just how it was like that was 2004 2002 2006 yeah yeah it wasn't intense oh that's so weird yeah. purdue has a really great veterinary school too mm. yeah yeah that's just something i know about purdue <laughs> no they do it's, it, purdue and davis are the best vet schools in the country yeah, davis, that's yeah, just, yeah, that's just davis, yeah. what shout out to indiana <laughs> well, and so i recently got the opportunity to do comedy in Arkansas in Little Rock. And I was so scared. I mean, I picked up so many sets here because they were like paying me and I was like, I was the host because the the headliner brought me on and I was so excited, but I was so scared because I was like, people in Arkansas are the enemy. Aren't they? Are they? 
Well, that's the mindset I, that's wrong on both sides, though. Because I kind of racist I, against white people. Yeah, because I kind of feel the same way, and it's just a lack of exposure. I think because mm-hmm. I think like my friends in Seattle and stuff like that, they'll be like, "I'm anti-gun, I'm anti this, and you know all of that." And they're like, "Well, have you ever lived out in the country, like a house where it could take the police ten minutes to get to your house, right?" So you know, you kind of think of that sense like I want home defense. So for the people in the country, in the middle of the country, that makes sense for them. It's not like a crazy thing. But then if you're like in an apartment, you're like nobody needs a gun in this That's apartment right, you know fair. so if like, you have a kid yeah exactly so there's just like the different cultures and what yeah. it is and it's it's almost like a, a we're all not meeting or understanding where everyone else is coming from on both sides i sure. think to some extent you know? well you know why californians can't have guns because <laughs> we're california no because they're always triggered ah, ah! it's a comedy <laughs> podcast <laughs> I wrote that joke specifically on the plane because I was sitting next to um, a Marine and he was just, he had some super guns on him, baby. He was a doll and he was talking to me, he kept calling me ma'am. He's like, I'm going for Thanksgiving, ma'am. I'm really excited. And I was like, sweetheart, don't call me ma'am, please. Uh, but <laughs> he was like, I said, what, what's the first thing Wait, you want to do? Do you do? find that, on that one, the ma'am, do you, is that is an age or is that a condescending to women? No, I no, think it, he was, was, it was age thing. Oh, okay, he, was, he was like 23. He was being so, pol- I, he was being I view polite. that as being really polite, but I've had other people be like, don't call me ma'am i'm like well, whoa that's like i'm 44 going on 13 yeah. so i'm like please can we not call me ma'am like so I people don't. always call me man though like so i i don't know how to take offense because sometimes i feel like they were just trying to be polite but then in a way that i hope they don't try to say i look old i don't know yeah, <laughs> no you don't look old they're probably saying it because they don't want you to i mean you look i mean if i saw you on the street i'd be like how i mean you look like a nymph of infinite age like you're of non-age of like <laughs> who knows it's great but I wouldn't want to be like you look like you're 12 because that's you know infantilizing so maybe they're trying to not offend on either way be like I know you're an adult that's what they're like Simma Lieberman yay hey. Simma Lieberman host I made of myself car sick oh no I'm so sorry the oh the bridge Where it took me an hour and a half to get here well you've made it and you have two amazing comedians who are both multicultural may I introduce you to Bernice Ye or that's, that's Todd Kirkwood and Bernice Ye Bernice is from China she moved here 15 years ago she didn't speak English and she's now she's a comedian is that miraculous that is amazing and where do you live now Wait, do you hug in the microphone Seattle Oh, Seattle? And you? Uh, Seattle as well. Yeah, oh, Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. I Seattle. love Seattle. Seattle. I'm so glad to be here. Yes. Yeah, go do your thing. We were just uh, there. I'll fill you in when you're in the bathroom. In the I brought water. Yeah, it's all good. We've got plenty of time. We were just talking about race and how we experience it and the racism that we've... Uh, we were talking about how when I was in Arkansas and I thought, oh my God, everyone's scary and racist. And they're they're just people. Mm-hmm. Now, they are very large people. Like, I played to somebody. <laughs> I played to these huge audiences and, and not that they were like more numbers than in California, but they were literally twice the size. Right. There were people sitting in two chairs and I'm not exaggerating. I've never, I'm a San Francisco six. I was in Arkansas 11. I've never <laughs> felt so pretty. Like I was, I was like, oh my God, like what is that? I was a bell of the ball in Arkansas. It was, it was, I was pretty just amazing. Like that, uh, the sizing. I was just thinking about that today as I was walking down the street. So like for listeners, like I said, I'm a six foot two, uh, tall male, over 200 pounds. Like I don't feel very intimidated most times of my life. But as I was walking on the street and I was thinking about Bernice and a couple <laughs> other people, I'm like, I don't understand how you go through life. Like it would be <laughs> terrifying for me to be, if there were seven foot 
people walking around or eight foot people, I would be terrified. So I mean, I'm probably about a foot taller than you. Yeah. And you I was are. just like, oh my gosh. I, it's so like, I was like the brave, I don't want to say like condescending, like the bravery, but I'm like, oh my God, I would be terrified wow. at all things. Sizeism is another thing. I mean, so we have so many ists now, right? Right. Well, that, that ties to like, yeah, that ties for women and how right. you guys Sexism. perceive the world. Yeah. Cause I'll be like, oh, this is safe. And my female friends are like, no, it's not. I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm. I put out a different vibe. People don't harass me when I'm walking down the street. I don't get harassed. I, that's one of the lucky things about like I don't wear makeup. When I do wear makeup, I I get harassed. Right. When I like try to put myself like if I put myself together, like I think Bernice, you're incredibly brave because you're gorgeous and you're wearing this cute little outfit and you've got this great face on and. I can't do that because it, people give me too much attention, like on the bus, and and that sounds so awful for me to say. Like I can't take the, I just the male gaze. Like I know people are looking at me, and I'm just like, stop it! Just I just want to be oh, invisible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like not wearing makeup. I like dressing like a boy. I like not like I always wished that I was a dude just so that I could have like the rights and privileges of being a dude, and that nobody would like have to. Whenever I wear makeup, people tell me, "Oh, you look so great." It's like I didn't ask you. I didn't wear this so that you would say that. Right. Like I didn't. I don't know. I just, I think it's getting like, sticky for me in that. To listening and believing people too. Cause it's, it's so the people say, oh, like I'll, I'll say, Oh, um, so-and-so seemed nice or I had a good interaction or that was safe. And I'd be like, no. And they're like, Oh, okay. I have to believe your experience because it's so vastly different than mine that right. I can't really experience it. I just trust and believe people that are like, all right, I want to listen to what you have to say. And I'll understand it to be a reality, but it, it's tough because it's not my reality. It's sure. tough to like, you just have to put yourself in other people's shoes. There's a kid out front of Dolores Park last week with a MAGA hat on. He was 26 and he had a Make America Great Again hat on. And he was passing out flyers about Trump and stuff. And I was like, and it was President's Day. And I'm like, are you kidding? I mean, are you kidding me? This is San Francisco. What are you doing? You're trying to what? Like, ah, but he had an experience that was unique and his. And for some reason, like, I've got to believe that people are always thinking that they're right. Uh, let me introduce you. Sima Lieberman. She's amazing. She's, uh, I had them go through what they look like for the audience, just like you do. So, um, you you want to explain to the audience your your game of, of what you look like? Okay. Hi everyone. Yay. This is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist from Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People, and I'm just glad to be joining this crew here. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm Sima Lieberman. I am a baby boomer. I'm a white Jewish woman from the Bronx. I live in Berkeley, but I am still from the Bronx. <laughs> awesome. It never, le- it never leaves. So today, now, I'm so excited to be talking to everybody here. So Pam is here, Bernice and Todd. Yes. Thank Hello. You. And um, I'm really excited because you're all a part of the, of, the, of the comedy festival here. Yes. And we're wearing the shirts to prove it. These are amazing. I'm never <laughs> taking shirt, it off. This is, yeah. So, I, I know, I'd, I'd love to know, like, so, so you're Chinese. Mm-hmm, yes. Latino? Yes, Mexican. Okay. Right, yeah. Latinx. Yeah. <laughs> Latin, that's a new one. Yeah. That one's, yeah. I've, I've seen that around and everything like that. It's, these are the weird ones where you're like, am I getting old? Am I losing all the language? And like, cause it's, you might be. Yeah. But, but actually one of my last shows was on, I had uh, two, I had two colleagues. I had Bernardo Ferdman who was, grew up in Puerto Rico and Placida Gallegos from Mexico and uh, they talked. They did a whole show on on Latinx. Oh, oh, was it? 
sum can you sum up the whole two hour podcast? <laughs> no. Well, <laughs> well, you know, but once we start talking, it just keeps going. Yeah, you know, and we talk about other things too. So I want to ask uh, both of you. Um, how, so how has race affected you in your life right now? Oh, or growing up. Mm. <laughs> Well, so it's interesting. Growing up, it's just uh, race was never a topic because there's got one billion people with the same race in the same place. Um, and then I think you know we're just talking about like Chinese are very political incorrect. We make fun of every race, and I think but. Most of the time, we didn't mean bad until it comes to the Japanese, because I think the government tried to, you know, like well, I mean, there's the history part, but then they villainize um, the Japan Japanese government. So kind of like you know, this is how it works in China. Like when a film producer trying to make a historical a movie, and if it's about like uh, make make the war and make the Japanese look really bad, they get funding from the government. Yeah, wow. yeah. So it's you know like it kind of like um you tilt the whole political stand in that like controlled way, right? And then so um even though yeah, it, it maybe it's uh, partially true that's what happened in history, but then it doesn't allow people to move beyond that. Exactly. We are people now, like history is history, let's learn and let's just treat each other as people. It doesn't really let us go past that. Um so I think that's probably one of the things that is still happening because you know, oh, let's not use Japanese product and there are still a lot of things in the news to talk about what's happening at the open sea at the border um mm -hmm. so i think that's very unhealthy mm -hmm. yeah and it's probably people who still maybe they were still alive they remember the rape of nanking mm -hmm. yep. yeah do you still have a lot of family back in china or do you communicate like give everyone back there yeah all my family they're in china oh, and then okay. like we're just <laughs> so that's why i feel like there's a lot of freedom in my comedy i can say whatever i want and they don't understand english so <laughs> 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 like you know grandma wouldn't be happy if i talk about her and the bunny you know like in her in her ways and you know uh, it's her best interest and she was showing care to her granddaughter um maybe i should just tell you yeah, uh, tell 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 her the joke it's so good <laughs> she is such she talks about her experience in her own comedy so it's very political and, and race driven it's cool yeah, so uh, um, my grandma cooked my pet bunny as my 10-year-old birthday present. Oh, no! That was the bluntest way to put that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know the whole joke, and it, like to sum it up okay. in five seconds sounded horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then she actually fed it to me first before I let me know what it is, and then I ate it, and it was very delicious, and I thanked her, and then she told me that was my bunny. Oh my! I, you must have been devastated. I was, I was, and but you know, in a way that I actually, even when I was ten years old, I understand because um, you know, all the time, whenever Grandma tell me stories about how all her sibling died from starvation, mm. oh um, the yeah. Japanese came and then like kind of killed all like a lot of people they know, so they were just hiding under the basement trying to survive, right? Mm. So yeah. in that case, you just you know like bunny or rabbits anything they're food to survive um they she actually joined the war um, at the time you need to eat grass you need to you need to cook the belt as food oh, so wow. if that happened i can't blame her for seeing like um you know a big fat bunny as food <laughs> so um in a way so like i understand i never really um i never really not see her point but in the meantime it did hurt me um you know that really um you know traumatized me as a child um so kind of to me the the point of me telling the joke is also that 
there's no black and white. There's no right or wrong. Like sometimes a person does a crazy thing to you, but they have their own reasons.、Um, and then we got to forgive, and we got to move on. Yeah. yeah, a lot of times you have to understand the context. Yes. And how about you, Todd?、Uh, so、I was very strange growing up. So.、Um Like I said, I talk about it on stage. My dad is is Mexican, and my mom's very white. And but my dad left when I was very young, so I got raised by my mom. So my experience has been very culturally white. I was just in Southern California, so but it was blending. It was just being around other Latinos down there, and just other Mexicans, and then my mom's family and everything. Or my mom's side was Becky's, but just our friends and family were white and everything like that. So it's I was very strange growing up in terms of nobody knew that my mom was my mom. Like she'd like I joke about it on stage that she would come and pick me up, and people were like. Like, that's my son. And you're like, who are you? Why? You know? <laughs> like, no, you're gonna have to prove. And people, you know, she's like, who is this to you? And、I'm、like, oh, that's my mom.、And、you're like, this is your mom. This white redhead woman is your mom. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's her. And so it was very. That was always very strange growing up,、um, that people would find out. You know, when you're when you're raised like that, like I present very brown. We were talking about this. That it's black hair and everything like that, and brown skin. And my mom was it turned white as we got older, but it was very red hair, very pasty, and everything like that. So to see us and like I was very close to my mom to see us alone and be like, what is the story with those two? Is that an adopted kid and everything like that?、Um, so that's been wild. And then for me, because I was raised with her, like I don't speak Spanish.、Um, And finding a lot of、uh, my Mexican heritage and my Latino heritage has been my own process of internalizing it. Like as I got older,、uh, this is silly, but like I would, I've taken salsa lesson dancing,、cool. and I've go, that's great. It's、yeah. not silly. Well, it, it's it, but it's funny because then I love that now. So we'll go to parties, and you know I've traveled and been to Puerto Rico and salsa danced, and you're like. This and I always think this. This feels right, and I'm like, is、yeah. that a genetic thing? Does this like <laughs> when you when you do something like that, and you're like, I love this these big family parties, and we're dancing and you're drinking, and you're like, is this like is this my genetic heritage like calling me, you know? And、uh, so so for those things, it's been kind of wild, like discovering my own race kind of thing. I was.、Um, So I, I guess、uh, for listeners, I have I have a beard on right now.、Um, but for a long time in my twenties, I didn't grow out my mustache because I felt it was a very Mexican-looking <gasps> mustache.、Wow. And so when I was younger, I would just I had a little goatee, but I would be very clean-shaven, and I was I wouldn't grow it out. And because to me it was like that, I look very brown. This is this is it's not you know. But then I grew it. I'm like, no,、nah, it's fine. And I've just kind of learned to wear it and just in culture, like yeah, I'm I'm going to be. This brown person, and I now it's fine. I love it. I don't ever wear it. But at the time, I remember thinking like, "Oh, I gotta shave. I, I'm looking very Mexican right now."、Wow. And it was weird. Yeah, it's just kind of a weird thought that,、uh, that yeah, growing up is kind of like, "All right, let me learn to embrace this more." So that is so、wow. cool. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and now and now you're feeling more one with yourself. Yeah, very much so. But it,、um, another comedian,、um, Alex Rios from Portland, is on the festival. Very funny, and he's half、uh, Mexican and half white as well. And we were just joking about in Portland and in Seattle, we're Mexican, but <laughs>、right. in Southern California, we're white. <laughs> and my friends down here are like, "No, no, no, no! You don't get away with that. You're white. Calm down." And up there, there are people in Seattle be like, "Hey, Todd, how do you feel about this as a Mexican?" And it's, I guess it's weird to be a voice up there and then be, you know what I mean? It's just kind of a being. Biracial like that is kind of, it's it is what it is.、So. And you have to be who you are. Yes. You know you have to be who you are, and not let somebody else say, "Hey, man, you're white." Right. You know? Very much so. Yeah. And it's I've had that growing up as well. That I kind of I say play both sides, but I definitely will lean into whatever it is. You know, if if I'm like growing up, it was like, oh. 
uh, in school, it's like I'm hanging around the white friends. I'm very much more white. If I'm hanging around my Latino friends, I'm very much more like this. And just kind of, you bounce back and forth, and it's just kind of a unique perspective on things. But it's both are accessible to me. Like I feel very much like that's me. You know. Well, do you ever have like where you have both? I mean, where you have like a multiculti group. Oh yeah, multiculti. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's my shortcut. Oh, definitely. Well, that's kind of like, like I was saying. So growing up in California. I could easily go with my, I have pretty tight with my high school friends still, half are, half are Mexican, half are white. And it never really dawned on us that it was anything not that. I remember going to college uh, and then when I got my first job, I, I was in training in Wisconsin and there was other new hires. We were like 23 and this guy was 23 year old guy, just a new hire at this job we were at. And he's like, I've never met a black person before. He was from Iowa. And I said, what? Like, because I, I grew up in California wow. and I was like, it was that concept. Like, you've never met anyone from different from your race. Like, I grew up like that. Just, you know, in your Southern California, everyone's Latino, everyone's Asian, there's black people. And you're like, how did you not, how did you go through life without meeting someone else? Sure. I was 23 years old and he, that was, uh, there was another um, black man in the class with us and it, it was his first meeting and it was just wild. I was like, wow, how did you get here? <laughs> did know. he reach out and touch the hair? Oh, I know. That'd that's be the, the very, worst. very worst. That's, it's just like, oh, you just objectified somebody like that. Can yeah. I ask Bernice a real quick question? Are your parents mad at you for becoming an American citizen? No, they're not. They're not. They're, they're stoked not. on it. They're like, yeah, go for it. Yeah. I think, yeah, they're supportive. But I think either me or them know uh, that I have to give up my Chinese citizenship. Oh. So, like, uh, it's the China side who doesn't allow the dual citizenship. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the, the moment you become any other country citizen, they will take your passport and they actually cut it. And then they put a big stamp that canceled. <gasps> yeah. That's so childish. That's like, we're going <laughs> to cut this and stamp it. I know. That's amazing. I know. I'm going to cancel well. the Chinese. Speaking <laughs> about childish, I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of stuff starts happening here. I don't know. Oh, who knows? It's, know. You're right. It's we scary. don't know. It's 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 kind of crazy. And so, Bernie, so what was it like when you so coming to the United States? What was some of your, what were some of your like cultural like what you know like yeah. what? How do you? What do you mean? Totally. Like, um, so it's interesting because to me, like it, it was difficult to um, you know learn English and all that, but people are actually really really nice. I think um, growing up, you know, my parents we talked about yesterday, they they didn't like each other, so they are oh. always yelling. I, I never knew how to say. I love you. We don't say I love you, right? Like, is there no Chinese? You could say I love you in Chinese, so but we words. don't say it. Like, but in your okay. family, they don't. Then your family, they didn't. They didn't. Yeah. Um, well, actually, in any family I know, they don't say I love yeah. you. And then, they, but they might say nice things. Just my parents said, don't say nice things. Uh, it's like so they were always uh, fighting. Um, so then when I came here and people, you know, say nice to meet you. Say wow, nice to meet you. Like I'm learning the new language, but also learning a new way of thinking. Almost it actually changed who I am because I think before even in China I got frustrated I was very hot tempered I was a hot tempered person um, but you know coming to here I learned you know people saying oh you look great like I mean you know in China growing up everybody picked up on my small eyes and they were like you're ugly like you know they, they always pick on your appearance but here it's oh my god you have the most beautiful eyes I'm so oh my god I love you America <laughs> <laughs> so even though it's Indiana I actually had a great experience Indiana yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and then you know the other thing is because I couldn't speak English very well, when I get mad, 
I have to think. I have to think hard. So,、uh, you know, that slowed me down, and then that changed me as a different person. I just became more thoughtful.、Um, and I,、uh. I, I don't, you know. So, like these days, I feel like this reason why I feel like being American is the part of me、um, that is new, and I, I, I also I love that part.、Um, But going back though, I think there's a phase of my time I was actually rejecting me as being a Chinese、um, because growing up in China, there's so much being so suppressive, and there's the culture that you know, like everybody, the way the society that treated you being different. I Hated China. That's why I wanted、oh. to come here. I rejected a lot of the culture. I rejected a lot of our family value.、Um, and I, you know, in a way, I didn't really speak Chinese that much、um, until, like, I think comedy actually saved that for me.、Oh. Comedy reminded me to bring some of the experience back. Then in my childhood, in my、um, early days in China, and also how I learned to become American, and then looking that is like wow, there's a lot of great cultural things that make me unique. And I look at some of the great history and cultures that wow, I actually、um, even the language itself is so beautiful, and I want to share that. Experience, so I didn't like. I don't reject myself as a Chinese anymore. Good,、so、I, I appreciate. I thank comedy for that. Can you swear、oh, in、yeah. Chinese? Let's pretend that. <laughs> let's pretend that we just cut you off on the road, and you're just. You got it. What would you say in Chinese? I can't、them? swear in Chinese. That's the thing. Oh my god! So this is another. Is there no、thing. swearing in Chinese. Well, because growing up, we we're brought up to speak so proper. Like I have to be proper, and now there's no such thing as swearing, right? So I was in China until 21, and then when I was younger, like if I say anything,、uh, like. Bad. My parents were no. That's terrible. Oh, actually, there's one time because my parents got into an argument, so they were saying like, "Fart your mom's fart." Yeah, <laughs> fart your mom's fart. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. I, and then I think I somehow and I copied it, and then they just made it such a big deal. So like these days, um, you know, I can say the f word or whatever in in English. It doesn't matter. But if somebody say a thing in Chinese, I got all I all blushed. Like、oh, I turn red because it's just like oh, that's so dirty. <laughs> well, you, you know, and I noticed that um, you know, Chinese has a lot have a lot of expressions like. That like sound like, you know, like oh, that's really interesting for、yeah. insults. And in the Jewish culture too, we have some stuff. I mean, like somebody else would think, what are you talking about? But to us, it's like telling somebody. But we have one expression: "Go cockinaf and yam." Gay cockinaf, gay cockinaf and yam means go shit in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and that's like a really, you know, oh my God, did you hear what she said? Or, or you know, may your ancestors come back and. And burn you. I mean, oh, we yeah, have that. Yeah, you know. your ancestors come back and haunt you. All that or, stuff. Or, I mean, you know, all, and all your grandson of, doesn't have asshole. Or yeah, yeah. So like, may yeah, your grandson yeah. not have an asshole. I mean, yeah, that is amazing. And, 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 and Yiddish expressions, and and <laughs> as as an Eastern European Jew, what that, a lot of the expressions in Yiddish, they're like very colorful, like that. Yeah, that's and you go, oh, okay. You know, other cultures like it. Totally, the Arab culture also has some of those like. Oh, okay. You know, may may fifty people come and destroy your house, whatever it is, or you know. Yeah. But it's interesting. So I, I wanted to ask both of you now. Were one of you in the tech sector before? 
Uh, I was, yeah. Yeah, I, I was an engineer. I'm an electrical engineer. I went to college for that. And then I was in the medical industry for 12 years. And then I got into comedy. And uh, that's just kind of run out. <laughs> I'm out currently a uh, full-time comedian, um, but just living off savings and whatever money I can possibly make. So it's kind of uh, been a full, full fun ride. So. Nice. Bridget, how about, how about you? Yeah, so I, I, I've been in tech. I'm still in tech. Um, yeah, because so I was, you know, when I Googled you both of you, yeah. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> You did your research. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, currently I work at Hulu. I still have my full-time job. I mean, comedy is pretty new, right? I'm Hulu. one year into it. Um, so definitely need my full-time job. <laughs> and you've opened for some really cool people. Yeah. But Hulu, huh? Can you get me a, a free subscription? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, remember I would that. love yeah. to get you a free subscription. <laughs> I'll have to, uh, you know, figure out on my work site. Okay. Pass. Oh, yeah. pass. you get to yeah. the password. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I want to, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about because I love comedy. I mean, I just absolutely love comedy. Um, and I like to laugh. And like when I do, I do a lot of workshops and facilitation, and I have a quirky sense of humor, and I make people laugh a lot. And only one time somebody said, "Well, we were laughing too much." I'm thinking. Okay, well, I don't think it's that sad, you know, because I'm doing a facilitation about diversity and inclusion and bringing people together across cultures, and I get people to laugh because people are comfortable when they laugh. Mm -hmm. And I just would like you to comment about the difference between comedy that is like ethnic in nature and really funny, and then comedy that is just racist. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I know what I think. I'd love to hear what the two of you think. <laughs> Some racist comedy, uh, and I don't. And I don't mean the kind of comedy where somebody is is, you know, doing something that shows that they either understand the culture or that's really. I, I'm talking about people. There's who a just, Polak, a Swedish, and a Jew that walk into a bar. That, I mean, like yeah. mean, yeah, mean kind of comedy like that, um, right. like Nazi comedy. Ugh. So, so would you comment the Nazis about have comedians? What so, a weird would thing you would you comment that. about the difference? Yeah, you want to go? I I will say that uh, yeah. So on this, I think it's really a fun point right now where it's racist and racial are are very slippery on and and like if you're talking about something, is it racist or is it a racial observation and what is that? Um, I think there's these ideas of stereotypes. Some are not are obviously true or else they wouldn't be a stereotype but then they get abused and run over as well but it's a weird thing to say like oh um latinos like big parties is that a stereotype or is it a true or is that what it really is so it kind of comes from like what are you doing with it um do you have an yeah. understanding of it are you berating it are you using it as a cheap hack to just say these kinds of things or have you lived it do you understand of a deeper knowledge of what it is so that kind of comedy where people are just using these throwaway like the Pollock thing you were saying like they're just using that as a, as a crutch to say be angry and being a bully yeah or are we like let's be fun and let's address the fact that you're Jewish that you're Chinese and now we're fun and we're laughing and we're just kind of saying you know those kinds of things it's kind of really the vibe of like are you being inclusive and, and trying to make people laugh and have fun and being warm or are you being exclusive to one person and then making fun of it with the rest of the room you know if you're just making fun of one group or one thing like that like what are you doing are we all talking and we're laughing and we're trying to bond or are you trying to bond by excluding one other thing because that's a weird thing to do be like join people by excluding other people but know? we do that I mean, I, but i think but i just though I, I think that i i love what you just said I think that's really brilliant, I mean, and that's what, that's what I think too. And the way that you explained it, I, I really, I really liked it. 
I just think like all the time I make fun of people that go to Burning Man. You know, like I, I make there's, <laughs> but there's we sometimes we exclude people because there's. I mean, I make fun of the group of. And it's, it's never really by race. Like I'll make fun of poets, or I'll make fun of tech guys, right. or I'll make yeah, fun of. But that's different. People. What is it? Yeah. Because we're we're making people laugh at the exclusion of someone else. We're saying these Burning Man people love to go run out in the desert and do their drugs willy nilly. These crazy little summer campers with all their money. Like is is that if I'm being but derogatory. you're not excluding any but you're not really being derogatory you're not you know there, it's not a group that has historically been oppressed in any okay, way and fair. historically been <laughs> left out you know that that that's that's the difference okay yeah um I think, what do you think Bernice yeah so the way I think is like you know as um as a particular person of color if I say like well this joke anyone who listen to the joke will they take anything away to do harm to this race like I wouldn't want yeah. that because I think you know um, stereotype like I actually I do a lot of jokes about stereotypes I like to challenge them I think also stereotype exists for a reason right and I think I want to kind of explain stereotype and why they exist for example people think about an, an immigrant coming to this country they are clueless yeah we are clueless because <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of that we don't know like everything works differently if you go to China like you will be just as coolest if more mm. right so I think that you're sharing that that and then to make the stereotype more humanized you know it's not like yeah. a foreign thing like let's just understand each other um, I'm passionate about that um, I think that's actually something sometimes just to understand there's some cultural reason there's some history reason but that doesn't cover everybody um, I think um, actually um, there is a professor came to Hulu and did this talk and it was fascinating. Um, as a human, our brains are just hardwired to identify stereotypes. What? Yeah, because it's a fast track to help yeah, it's us. It's easier. Survive. It yeah, makes you you don't have to yeah. you don't have to think. It's like Day, like it's the lazy. It's, yeah. it's the lazy way. It's a lazy way of being out in the world. On the other hand, people want to have rules. Yeah, yeah. So our brain wow. always automatically mm-hmm. jump to your past experience of what you know to make a quick judgment. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the the quick way is to knowing that your brain does that and take a moment to think about what should I do in this case does that apply and so judge the case individually so I think that's the thing I want to kind of uh, whenever I talk about stereotype when I talk about race make it clear you know like um, provoke people to think that like sure. yeah, yeah to to give people more exposure to okay maybe i need to take a moment to think about it before make a quick judgment call um so i think that's uh, something i see but you know like back then in china i remember it, actually i was brought up you know anyone from china will say if you run an apartment out never run it to a Indian couple because they're going to cook curry and then it's going to destroy your place. I feel terrible just saying that, right? But then you know that's where we're all brought up to to believe, but that's not true. Do Chinese people not eat curry? Is that not in the we, cuisine? Oh at my all? god! So we still don't <laughs> eat curry because in China people love food so much. I went to Beijing, you know, people eat all kinds of different food, and there's this really authentic Indian restaurant. Like the whole mall was packed. The Indian restaurant was empty. <gasps> I for some reason they they just don't like Indian food as much. Wow. (laughs) But, you know, I I, I wouldn't try to tell that that type of joke in China because that reinforces wrong opinions. So, yeah. Yeah, I get I I, I totally agree. And I love what you said about that makes it inclusive. Like, one of my, a comedian that I love, um, do you know who Gary Owen is? Yeah. I think he's hysterical. Mm -hmm. He's white 
and his wife is black and he's been around the black community a lot you know and he talks about like his observations as a white person uh you know in the black community like about how long church takes and i just think he's hysterical and his audience is usually about 80 to 90 percent african-american uh, yeah but he's very uh, funny too yeah, yeah yeah and he's hysterically funny because he really creates community he makes people feel like oh this guy you know he's part of us we're part of him and I mean, it's it's really funny. Who, so, who are your favorite comedians? Well, I'll just touch on Gary Owen on that. I think it's important that we celebrate differences and recognize them. That's what's weird about the stereotypes is stereotypes are lazy, but th- we should acknowledge there's differences. There's different culturally, Absolutely. and then so to be say you know curry or whatever or Chinese food and what you eat, those are differences, and you can say those jokes. So what Gary Owen does when he's in those, he's recognizing those are real things like black church is a wildly different experience than a white church. And right. you know, but so funny. you want to say it as a stereotype, but you also want to acknowledge culturally these are differences. And so you can say truths, I think, but without being stereotypical because you can actually have an understanding of it and recognize, oh yeah, these are our differences and we should celebrate those things. So. Yeah, no, I, I, exactly. So who are some of the people that that you like? I mean, like I'm just thinking about some of the people who say who make like Aziz Ansari, he just cracks me up, mm-hmm. you know. And to me, he's like being really inclusive. Or Mo Amar, some of the um, some of the some of the some of the Chinese communities, I think, are just so funny because they are inclusive. Mm-hmm. So and they create community while they're there. So I'm just curious, who, who are some of the people that you like? Um, well, so I, well, my influences when I was uh, growing up, as um, because I, oh, I just forgot right now, but um, like the Whoopi Goldberg, Rob Williams, and um, Billy Crystal, they had that yeah. show. I forgot what the name of it was, but that comedy, I was that killed me. And then I had a lot of Def Jam growing up, like, and then, then yeah, I like Def Jam. Yeah, and I, uh, for me, Kings of Comedy. Too. I've always loved the high energy because I love comedy, but I also love the entertainment of it. So when I'm on stage, I try to be fill the room be very energetic bring that kind of that character that you know to stage because I think it should be funny but I also think people want to be entertained like you could be low key and just people are bored the people want to go out and celebrate and have fun I think so I've I was big on that um, currently I'm like really all about Nate Bargatze which flies with what I just said because he's low key and energy but I just love how he just still entertains I don't know him okay oh I Nate Bargatze is so good well yeah. I'm gonna have to go I'm gonna I'm gonna YouTube him as soon as I get home yeah he's and I, but I've been trying to channel him just because I, I talk too fast when I'm on stage usually I'll get hyped up so I try to slow down and just be funnier with the negative space like the silences um, terrify me actually <laughs> but there's so much power in like the delay of a joke or that yes, tension the pause yeah the pause the dramatic pause but it's terrifying on stage if I'm not saying words <laughs> I, I, I feel you on that no I mean as a facilitator I used to, and a speaker I used to always get scared of that but then I thought hey I'm facilitating I can throw it back on them but as a comedian you can't say hey talk about yourself what do you think about blah 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 <laughs> right. and what about you who are some of your favorite comedians Bruce? okay yeah so I mean to start with I think definitely Ali Wong because yeah. I think, you know oh I watched God. I watched a lot of so the, how did I decide I want to do stand up comedy um, you know like I I took a long time to wash my face at night, get ready for bed, and I decided to choose stand-up comedy, which like Netflix special. And then it took me so long to wash my face. I watched so many, so like I. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like that. I'm not even a comedian, but I end up going to sleep so late because I get into watching these comedians, and I'm on YouTube, and I'm like. 
oh, well, I'll just do it while I'm washing my face. But then I stop to see, I have to watch them. I know. Next thing I know, it's like two hours later. Like, what? Exactly. But it's not until I saw Ellie Wong's uh, special that like, oh my God, like, because when you see somebody that is like, my type of um, story and jokes that's so relatable when you see somebody like you then you say oh maybe maybe I can do this right so that's why role models are very very important um, yeah. and so that kind of like pushed me to to pursue comedy um, and then um, I really like Chris Rock um, yeah me too he's like so so like intelligent and then his inside like, I always remember something and look like look at life differently after watching him but I was also laughing so hard yeah <laughs> and, and also has some uh, minaj I um, love him I know I know he's just he just it's so different and then like the way he executed his uh, comedy telling his story I, I was crying with him you know and then I, then I was laughing and I would just go along with journey and again uh, I just feel like I see the word a little bit differently after that yeah after his comedy and he's a good storyteller yes he is and he um, he's doing this um, Netflix special like weekly episode yeah. Patriot Act um, oh, I've seen that guy that stuff's good yeah it's yeah. very good yeah. And what about do you watch TV? Do you watch any comedy shows? Oh yeah, so what do you like? Uh I do all everything that's Netflix or Amazon. I probably watch a special a day each morning. So what do you tell me one. some of your favorites? What are your favorite uh, com- comedies? Oh man, some of um Tom Segura's specials out are right now are amazing. Tom Segura and uh Burt Kreischer's uh just storytelling is is hilariously just dry and they're funny and I, I love those specials I've been watching that a, late, a lot lately they have that other one um, the stand-ups that's where the Nate Bargatze it's just 30 minute specials yeah I like those Yeah, but Comedians of the World or something whatever it is oh that's yeah. a new one yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah. One, yeah. going through that as well yeah that's really funny I, I find that I can't watch Netflix things because it colors my material oh like if ah. I watch if I watch too many other comedians like if I start yeah. listening to a bunch of fucking Doug Stanhope, I suddenly start telling stories like Doug Stanhope. Do you yeah, know what I mean? You, no, you, like, I'll you pick get the up same his cadence. cadence. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, I do. And I so I hate, same. I don't want, I can't do that. So I try to like limit my comedy intake to old stuff or to like specifically movies because otherwise my material will start to be like, is I'll be like, is that my premise? Is right. that my, did I, did I, did I watch that? That's, is this my joke? This is my jo- is this my joke? Like I and so it, it I get too confused in my brain space and I have to like It's such a weird out. thing though cuz I I completely feel you cuz I'll have the same if I start watching something I'm like, "Oh man, my voice is coming out a lot like that." And I mm. I still feel 4 years in I don't know what my voice is or, you know, when people say finding your voice, I'm like, "I don't yet know." I think, but I don't I don't know what I have yet. But when it comes to comedy like that, I feel you're right. Because like, we all are pressured to come up with an original idea and we have to be this. But at the same time, any other vocation, if you were getting into cinematography or you were gonna be a film director, you would watch old stuff. That's how you would learn and you would appreciate. If you're a musician, you would practice classics and stuff like that. So. I, I completely feel you, but I, I watch a lot of comedy and with a critical eye of like, what's this bit? How long is this? It's an hour long special, but he's in this bit now and he's segued to this bit and what's the setup? And I try to look for the structure, but sure. not take the ideas away, but just look like, what's the craft look like? You know, if you start looking at it that way. Yeah, the whole science of it. Uh, well, do you watch, are there any like series, like comedy series that you watch? Which ones do you like? Oh. I recently started watching Crushing. 
Have you heard of it? It's a HBO special. No. Crashing. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, actually made by the comedian uh, Pete Holmes. And then oh. like, um, so the, the series is about this uh, comedian and, and his name is Pete Holmes and he's trying to make it. And it's like so true to like all the things that he is experiencing is very true to like a, a real life, comics life. Um, you know, and then they, they actually also have other comics in and like TJ Miller and some other oh. comedians. And then just being who they are. It's not like a fictionalized character. Like T.J. Miller just being T.J. Miller telling the same joke that he would do in a stand-up special but at an open mic. Oh. Uh, it's very, very interesting. And in a way, I feel like, all right. Like when I had a hard day, I said, okay, that's that's how it is like. <laughs> <laughs> they... Um Jimmy Fallon had this web series for his Tonight Show, but every once in a while they'd have these, they'd have comedians and they would talk about their bombs or their worst gig and stuff like that. And that was so heartening. I was so, I would listen to that. I'm like, oh, good, good. These big names have had these really bad experiences as well. And you're like, okay, this is all part of the craft because we're all going to get through it together or something. I was watching one of those last night. I don't remember who it was who talked about like when he bombed. Maybe it was you. <laughs> I might have been, <laughs> but no, I just, I love that, and I there's I'm so these things uh, to comedy is uh, the process, and you kind of like see it, and you're like, oh, these are the landmarks. Like for example, um, two years ago, I had my first quote unquote casino gig in a Ooh. lounge, yeah, and I was like, I was so happy to do it, but it was objectively a terrible gig. I was just in a lounge, there was like people just coming in and out oh. and stuff like that. But I was having the best time because I've have seen other people talk about you know, that experience, you're like, yeah, this, those are terrible. You're, you know, some of them are good theaters and everything like that. But this one was just in a lounge off the side and it's just like 20 minutes of talking to the void. And you're like, but the whole time I'm like, oh yeah, this is the same process. A lot of people have gone through and I just, it felt great. I don't know. And then you hear stories like, I mean, Robert, Robert Williams used to talk about times when he bombed. Yeah. You know, oh, um, I can't believe that he ever bombed. I know. But, but that's uh, the thing we can't. And you're, you know, if you've ever yeah. read like, uh, um, Oh shoot! Born Standing Up, Martin Steve Martin's book, oh, Born Standing right, Up, and it he just talks about like these hours of not killing and just it, it. And you're like, how is Steve Martin not funny? And you're like, he just had work at it like everything else. Huh. Yeah, I mean, because you because know, comedy always seems so. Oh, it's just a natural thing. You know, my son was doing stand up comedy for a while. He's in. Long Beach, California right now, studying acting. He's going to graduate from UC Irvine in a, in a few weeks. But before he moved down there, he was doing stand, stand-up comedy. And then, you know, one night he came home and goes, oh, I really bombed. I, he said, I got to go do it, you know, tomorrow or whatever. I said, oh, you bombed? Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, you're going to get up and do it again? He goes, mom, that's part of the whole craft <laughs> everybody bombs that's part of learning mom oh, and i thought okay you have a lot of courage young man oh and a good yeah. bomb is so good just the quietness and you're like <laughs> drowning and there's like a flush in your face and your ears are hot and then when you come off stage and everyone knows you bombed and you just kind of like nobody talked to me and you just walk to the back of the room and you turn off your phone and you're like all right that that happened let's let's process that and walk away well one big bomb i don't know if you know about maybe you read about this last week when um pence was over in europe oh and they were having a big meeting oh and he said something about well donald trump sends his greetings or whatever something about donald trump silence no one clapped nothing great and he didn't know what to do (laughs) i mean Tap dance about the dinosaurs, buddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and, no, you know, and, 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 you know, I have a question on the subject of race. What about in the field of comedy? 
have you seen anything related to race or racism? Is it harder for some people to get gigs in some places than others? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it just, you know, I'm also sharing the perspective of being a new comic in the scene. Um, so showing up at the, at the scene is very intimidating. Like, you know, when I go to my first open mic, it was Dance Underground, well, not Dance, Comedy Underground. Uh-huh. <laughs> I also go to Dance Underground. Comedy Underground in, um, in Seattle, I remember you have to wait uh, in, a, in a park before the venue opened, right? So it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of homeless people and then when it's not uh, bright, it's a little intimidating. Like for me as a small woman, I just feel like a little bit unsafe to begin with. And then you got like 20 other white guys. They don't know me, but they know each other. So mm, they kind yeah. of talk to each other, but they, I'm just on my on the side by myself. <laughs> and the way I actually don't even know how the rule works at a time. And so showing up, like I could just do it once and then just leave the scene because I feel like, like so intimidated um, yeah. but luckily you know we have like some women like came to me and said hey t- gave me like uh, Chelsea told gave me two dollars and said hey if you do this and it's easier to get on, on the on the list and oh. you know that really gave me a hand I think you just people recognize you have a disadvantage they're willing to give you a hand and give you a lift yeah, some people really really helpful some people just want to push the disadvantage and make you more disadvantaged but then you have other people you, yeah. have, to fi- you have to find your ally ally <laughs> yeah and I think a comedy is something that you you have to put in the time you have to keep on practicing get stage time to get better right but the thing is if any show they only book the best comedian of the scene that's going to give to like the you know the white males because they just already get a lot of more opportunity that's actually the first time i really see how things can play out as this uh, racial disadvantage or you know um if you keep giving the people who are already good more opportunity and they're going to get more opportunity and if you have a disadvantage it's really difficult to get the same exposure and get good um, uh, in a way though I think if in Seattle we, we are lucky because we have a lot of um, bookers or producers um, create open mic shows to promote POC pro, like a female oh focused open oh. mic um, and create a very friendly and supportive environment and I think that really helped me a lot the comedy womb you go down there do, uh, they still, it, do they still exist? The comedy womb. It's uh, called the comedy nest now, but yeah, it's Com- the same room. In that it's same downstairs is like yeah. a big vagina down there. Yeah, and actually, <laughs> it is. I've, I've I used to I performed there a couple of times years ago. Though. Yeah, they've oh. been doing so well now. Good. Like the room is always packed, and so yeah, it's um, a great show to be a part yeah, of. Every Tuesday they pack out that room, and it's one of the best attended open mics in the city. And it's really the producers of that are phenomenal, and they are like you said, inclusive and just focusing on that and finding the voices that don't have the opportunities else. So we do that on Tuesday too. There's a place called Hysteria. It's a, not called Hysteria. It's at um, it's at a oh, what's it called? It's a it's a it's a bar where they have pianos, but they don't. They do comedy on Tuesday, and it's Hysteria, and they specifically are women and pro LGBTQ. So they make all the white straight guys wait until the end, <laughs> so they can sign up, but they can't sign up until all the women and all the uh, LGBTQ people have signed up folks and then and then it's like so the white straight guys are like yeah fuck this mic <laughs> but but some of them will wait and then it's like well that's great because then you're being an ally and you're supporting so well when i yeah. i'm not oh somebody somebody calling you let's check it's probably sweet Kale. well i you know i also i also like you know when i was looking at pam's lineup yeah. you know pam always has like a real multicultural diverse lineup you know but you know when i look at, at what she's doing and i think that that's that that's really great 
I, but I'm not trying. That's the thing. I was telling Bernice this the other day. I actually didn't, in the years past for the festival, I made a concerted effort to make sure there were enough women and enough people of color and enough gay people. But this year I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to pick the people I think are funniest. And it really is a cross section of everyone. Like I, cause I almost felt like that's a little bit fucked up if I'm specifically looking for a gay person for my comedy festival. Like where are my gays at? Like, <laughs> well, well, no, I don't, think it's, I don't I mean, think it's fucked up. I, I think, I think that, but I think that after a while, when you create a community, it doesn't, it, you know, it's already been intentional. You already got it together. So it becomes like, that's who it is. That's, that's right. who your community is. That's just what it is. You know, that's just what it is. But for some people, you know, they don't have that um, because a lot of people are lazy and they just want to like, oh, I'm just going to be with people who I'm comfortable with, people who are just like me and I don't have to stretch and I don't have to grow and I don't have to learn anything. And I think that there's a lot to be learned through comedy. Yeah, it was the, what you're talking about once you've built the community, like right, that was kind of the point of affirmative action was to get people into those CEO positions, those big mm-hmm. positions. And then once you have that, then it'll balance out. People will promote, people the best talent will come up and everything like that. But you have to found that, you have to create that space and then people will rise up that. So if this year you weren't focused on it, but it was a great turnout and then that's just because those people those people had already done that. You didn't have to yeah. think yeah. about it. It was just kind of what it is now it's like well and I hope it can become like that I love that you just said that racism is because of laziness like is that that could be no, I well, guess well, well some, no, some of it some of, some it, of, it, it, some of it. it like when you have affinity bias affinity bias is where you go with like you believe people who are more like you Mm-hmm. You want to be around people who are more like you, but you don't take time to really get to know people because if you really get to know people, you find out sometimes that people who don't look like you are actually more like you and for somebody who may look like you, you have a nothing in common with. Yeah. You there's, know, um, we, we find out just there's a lot of stuff where it's, it's the cultural difference, but then there's also a baseline human experience and we can see that. There's this great um, on YouTube, a video, and I think it's called Life in a Day. And it's like an hour long documentary and what they did is they sent all these GoPros and these videos out to just people around the world and people just like film one day and it's like they set a day like March 3rd 2007 whatever I don't know what the day is but and everybody just taped their day and then YouTube stitched it all together and you just get to see these Japanese these African these Americans and just everyone and they all do the same thing everybody gets up in the morning it looks groggy and a mess and they're washing their face and then people are like putting their kids off to school and they're doing these things and it was this beautiful of like we're all just humans on this earth and we're all kind of have the same 24 hours of the day. And it was, if everyone sees it, it's really good. And I almost get like emotional watching it. Just the idea of like, yeah, we're all just trying to go. And you find out if you branch out of your own network in your own comfort zone, you get to find out that other people are different, but they're very much like you as well. Yeah. And sometimes you find out that what you like, other people like, um, and they don't look like you, but you have something in common or cause I mean, we're all, Lots of identities. Nobody's just one thing. Because mm-hmm. I tell people, like, I always ask in my groups, I say, well, how many of you like to garden? And, you know, usually there's always, like, people from different cultures like to garden. I said, is there a gardening language? Yes. Like, if I didn't garden and, I, and you were around and I was around you all talking about gardening, even though you're all from different cultures, would I understand you? No, probably not, because I don't care what kind of soil it is. You know, it's like, hey, you got some dirt? Let's put it in, put the flowers, and let's see if it'll grow. <laughs> so, you know, and then there's like around age. And then 
I'm sure there's also a culture of comedy, right? Yeah, Is there a culture that comedians like, definitely. like you talk about bits? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, most people aren't going to understand about bits. You talk about like punch words. Mm-hmm. You know, most people don't know what that is. Punchlines, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I didn't no, want to go into either, but I was no, like, no. You can punch you up. You can punch, punch down. There's punchlines, but there's also punch words. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and you can, you can punch up your. You can punch up your bits. You can punch up. You can punch down. Like, a lot of racist jokes are punching down, meaning that the subject is, you're saying, like, I'm better than this, and you're punching down. That We try not to, like, I try not to punch down. Right, that's the, ex- you know, that's, that's, like, that's exclusionary, right. offensive, and it comes exactly. offensive. Exactly, when you're like, yeah. And shit, that's punching down, right? That's yeah. like, and when people do that as a punchline or whatever, I have jokes. I was a special ed teacher. I get to use that word. It's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's part of the joke. But um, punching up versus punching down, that's all kinds of stuff. And and that's what good comedians do is they try to punch up. So they're punching up at something that they're not a part of as opposed to punching down to exclude and be like, this is. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it comes from where you're, where you found comedy or why humor is funny to you and so for a lot of us it was a defense mechanism like it was like I learned to not be bullied by being funny and you know I wasn't going to get in fights but like being funny as a defense so I didn't use it to bully I used it to get out of being bullied so that's kind of where you learn like punching up person down what are you doing with it are you trying to make people laugh and be the funny class clown or are you in trying to get out of stuff or are you bullying people and being malicious about it you know well every movie oh go ahead I'm sorry every movie in the 90s punched down I've been watching a lot of 90s movies only reason I never noticed this gay people every single comedy in the 90s every single even like the stupid movie like Jingle All the Way with fucking Danny DeVito or whatever and and, uh, Matthew Broderick the joke, the crux of jokes are like, what are you gonna, what are you gonna be a gay dude? Like it's all, like every move. I'm like, why were we punching down to the gays in the night? What was happening that we were like, gay dudes, screw those guys, right? Like, but it's a comedy, and it'd be a family comedy, mm-hmm. and all of wow. the jokes are wow. about just watch a '90s movie, watch any '90s movie, and you, there are two tropes that go through. One of them is women are dumb, and yeah. only there as sexual objects, and two, gay people are gross. Like that's the comedy of the night that we were all socially acceptable. We're all like, that's, those are the movies in the nineties. Yep. (laughs) So like, I mean, comedy sometimes is really like as a, as we as a group can be really like exclusive and terrible. So just watch, watch a nineties movie and you'll see. I mean, I know I got to go look up all my nineties movies, Yeah, but you know, I know that like some of the shows, that, that, that are comedy also are like comedies also with a message and they deal with like race and like I love the show Blackish. Uh-huh. Have you seen Blackish? I have. It's one of my favorite shows. And I mean the, the cast is amazing. They are hysterically funny. And there's always a message. So they deal with stuff like around um LGBT issues, race issues. They did light skin, dark skin issues. Uh-huh. I mean all kinds of issues. And they have you laughing, but in a way that you learned about. There's another um, show. Have you seen One Day at a Time? No. Oh, it's no. great with Rita Moreno, and it's so funny. I mean, it just has me laugh out loud. It's about a Cuban family. But they deal with issues around, like, the daughter is gay, then they have a trans uh, episode on trans, episode cool. on depression. Uh, she was in the military. I mean, all of these things. And it's so funny. And you really like learning stuff. And you're seeing people as, as humans and feeling parkas. It's something that everybody can relate to. Yeah. And it's important to see those things. I think we talk about the shows in the 90s. They just didn't know how to handle it. It was, but, and this is terrible to say it this way. At least it was being talked about. 
and it was yeah. being handled poorly. But that was kind of the bow wave of like, oh, it's being talked about. And now we can look back and be like, oh, we were not handling that well. Uh, but now we're at a better place. So these shows at least are handling it. Yeah, I, I, they're like, approaching it with a with a better idea. You know, to bring it to the forefront in a healthy way. Like I just like, fresh I, off the boat. I watch. Oh. Fresh, I love fresh. Have you seen Fresh Off the Boat? Mm-hmm, a little bit. And I I love it because it also deals with different issues. Go ahead. The uh, I when I used to teach high school back in the late '90s, early thousands kids still said that's so gay and i'd be like no that is like the n-word in this room and they were like what are you gay and i'm like no but i'm also not like a black person and we don't it was just it was like i was like it's like any word it's like using the s of calling mexican people spics which is i is a terrible terrible derogatory term which i didn't understand where it came from because my father used it all the time but it's a a derogatory term for hispanic it's a shortened version and it's terrible but we come up with these names and but people, it was accepted for so long in the 90s for everyone to be like, yeah. you're so gay. Yeah. And gay meaning yeah. like weird or different or whatever. And I'm like, well, ah, that's a, that's not okay. <laughs> so I had, I'd have to have conversations with students all the time about, you know, language is political and it's used to subjugate other people for some reason. So let's try to, you know, inclusive language. Yeah, I think what you said is really important because my son is now 24. But when, and he is raised by two moms, mm-hmm. me and, and my partner, my late partner. And um, we, he hadn't heard anybody say that's so gay until he went to school. Right. And I said, what's that? You know, we told him, well, my son, we had to also tell my son, no, you don't have to kick people's butts, <laughs> but let's do education. Let's do education. But I had people's parents say to me, like somebody else would say, you know, that's retarded. Now, I had an uncle who was developmentally disabled. And you know what? I do not laugh at that. And I, and, 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 and I said, you know, we don't use that terminology. But twice I had parents say to me who, who thought they were so with it and socially conscious. And, oh, but the kids don't mean anything about it. You know, I said, yeah, but they do. They do, and they may not know exactly what they're saying, but that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. well, they're not talking about people who are developmentally disabled. It doesn't matter. It's 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 you know it's a, it's how they associated or gay. It's how they associated. Yeah, I forgot about that. Remember that it was the eighties and nineties. You're so gay. Yeah. So that's gay. gay. Are you gay? Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't like, are you gay? Like, really? It was like, it was so derogatory. And it was, uh, yeah. and it was it the fear? And that's <laughs> the thing that, like, see, people say that racism or sexism or any kind of isms come out of fear. And I'm like, why do we care so much about what people do privately? These are my, these are my private parts. We call them our private parts. So why do we make such like a huge societal hubbub about what people decide to do privately and even interracial relationships are the same way it's a fear of like what of whether uh, oh no they're not gonna have a white baby or yeah it's hard to explain where that oh, fear comes like, from because I, the- I you feel the same way but i just think that's i don't know if the liberal view or just growing up but it's uh, the same way it's like i don't care what you do just go do that but don't is it bothering me no fine then go do whatever do what you, you do. know i don't that i don't know where that comes from that judgment sense that people are judging other people i've never understood that i don't and i, I don't know how to explain it otherwise you weren't raised catholic you weren't a good mexican <laughs> yeah. what's wrong with that? i assume it's i assume a lot of it's religion i don't know but that's somewhere but i don't know but i, I think that i think it's fear i think it's um wanting to feel better than other people. And it's believing these messages, you know, it's believing these messages that you hear about, oh, these people are this way, these people are that way. Uh, Because, you know, 
interracial marriage was illegal until what, like sometime like in the late late fifties. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. in some states. It was maybe in the sixties. It was illegal. Sure. You know, I'm mean, some countries. It still is. Isn't it illegal to be gay in China? Yeah. Well, so actually, I actually wanted to talk about this because uh, uh, for the longest time, um, it is illegal to be gay. Like you could go to prison if Whoa. they they caught you have any sort of evidence, right? Um. So actually, a very very good friend of mine. Um. So he's Chinese also born and raised in China live in Seattle and uh, his husband um, is Vietnamese uh, American born and Vietnamese and so on, on the uh his husband, you know, is in Houston. The family, you know, very, you know, accepting. They've gone to Houston. But um, my friend, my Chinese friend, haven't even told his family that he's married. He has his partner. Wow. It's just, you know, he has a roommate, you know, because he's afraid that, like, he will not only, like, when he go visit, he might go to prison, <gasps> but will also get his family in trouble. <laughs> That's why I'll do, if, I, if I ask and just uh, help explain me the premise on that. Because as my understanding, China isn't, is not obviously not Christian country. It's not any of that. So where do you think that comes from, like that homosexuality would be illegal? It's, so that's not coming from like normally I would think it's, oh, it's religion. It's based on this. But it's not. So do you, is it just traditional value? I don't know. where that, why, why do you think that they started like yeah, I honestly, I do not know. I know it's not religion. Yeah. Uh, it's not religion because anything like China, like Chinese government is against religion, right? right? Um, but I think it's just like we are always trying to follow a norm, a social norm. Like you're supposed to um, get married by this time. You're supposed to. There is a moral standard they're trying to hold you against. Um, and I do not know who made that up. Mm. Like I really do not know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing that um, also I watched this recent episode on Patriot Act um, called the censorship in China. And then, oh my God, I actually got teared up watching that because um, there is this group of, so the Me Too movement in China is very different than here. It's not started by celebrities, but started- I was just reading about Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the yeah, Me yeah. movement yeah. in China, badass. Yeah, it's started by uh, college, university students. Yeah, I was just right? reading about it's that. It's like a kind of a grassroots movement. And then like the Chinese government tried to shut it down. They actually, you know, the girls, like they were beaten up. Like they, when they got interviewed, the face were like bruised, found like wow. beaten up by Chinese, but uh, please. But they didn't give up, and then like they got so much support uh, from the social media. So people want this. People want freedom, and um, and there's this girl. She's uh, she's a lesbian, and then like on the interview, she's like, uh, "I'm lesbian. What's up?" What's wrong? And that's so gangster. Oh my god! I was just like, when she said that, I and because they actually made um, they changed the law from the mutual movement. This is the first time they are putting into um, leg- legislation for sexual harassment. So they finally wow. have laws now. You can have a suit on sexual harassment, and I felt so proud. It's from like student movement changing the law and forced the government to do that. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> and I remember there was, there was a couple of there was several um, movies, several LGBT movies that that had that were um, with Chinese people. Uh, you know, very specifically, like the wedding banquet. Oh, uh-huh, I remember that, that was one. that was good. There, there was a couple, yeah, where. You know that, but they didn't want to tell their parents that they were gay. You know, um. I do not. I don't think I have watched that one. 
It's been yeah. several years. Yeah, several Check years. it out. There's a few yeah. of them like that. Because I remember back then when I was in university, <laughs> there is this uh, movie, um, like kind of a game movie, was banned. Like it's actually illegal to watch. Um, <gasps> but somehow, you know, we, we pirate. So there's a benefit of the piracy because like I was able to, <laughs> I was able to watch the, you know, a banned movie. And it's like about this, um, you know, uh, not, not couple because there's no such thing as a couple if you, you don't even show your relationship but uh, they they fell in love and how um the the government trying to you know put one of them like in prison trying to go through education trying to make turn oh, him re-education yeah, yeah re-education that, that's what our uh current vice president believes in that um oh. you can transform uh it's like the christian right believes that you can like pray the gay away <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a Oh, this country is so puritanical and based on that. Like, just it, we we could talk about gay couples and outcoming and seeing that on TV. But even just in the 1950s, Ricky and Lucy were oh, not right. sleeping in the same right. bed, sure. and we all knew that. But it was still shown as being like, oh, we can't talk about sex at all they in this country. They were an interracial couple on yeah. TV. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. That's right. They're an inter. Uh, yeah, that's right. But it's, you know, it was. But it's that other they, thing we do with. They talked about it a lot too. They did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, we do a thing with race. Though, that was very much for, ahead of its time well, for what it was. Yeah, he was a famous band leader. That's the thing is somehow with race in the United States. We're like, if you're in entertainment or sports, it's cool to be black. But anyone else, you know, or anything else. So you already have to be famous or and that. I find that. I mean, I'm I'm speaking out of turn because I'm not black. But it must be really hard to be growing up and have be like, well, I better be really good at sports or I better be really good at music. I better sing. Like, what are the options? It's not like, hey, you could you could be a really good doctor right. or you could be a really good teacher. But that we specifically for certain races, like, well, we're not racist. I mean, look at Beyonce. <laughs> you know, I, so everyone loves yeah. Beyonce. That's a great point. And it's like, I, I'm not going to speak a lot on it, but I, some of my black comedian friends will talk about, I'm not at those. I'm a geek. I do this. And it was not for them accepted. Nobody knew how to handle them. Like, I'm, and I'll see some of my friends will say, I'm not a typical black guy. I'm into Magic the Gathering right. or something like that. Yeah, well, there's a whole group, there's a group of comedians. The, it's a group of comedians of nerd, nerd comedians that are yeah. black. Yeah, and you just see people, they're breaking those stereotypes for sure. them, and it's a whole other thing. It's the same, like you said, they don't have to be these bottled up things, you know? Right. So, Like every tall person doesn't play basketball. <laughs> totally, because like growing up, like we're always pressured to, you got to be good with math, right? Like good with school, but then like if you show interest in art, I mean, I think things are changing now, but in my time, if you show interest in art or dancing, your parents will try to force you out of it. <gasps> Yeah, so, um, you know, I actually, as a kid, I love dancing, but I was a little chubby. Um, so the teacher would just say, no, you shouldn't dance. You're too fat for that. What? Yeah, yeah. There was like, you don't have a future in dancing, so you shouldn't dance. Like, you need to focus on math and science. So, like... <sighs> Yeah, so that's how it is. Like, it's your it's, dreams are for shit, little girl. It's <laughs> awful. How do you feel? Let me ask on this then, because this is something I've been working through. And so you were in tech field and mm-hmm. talking about math. And I was like, how is it now embracing your artistic and creative side? Like, do you, like f- feeding that side of your brain and kind of thinking about things differently. Because I know mm-hmm. friends like if you're saying Pam, like theater, and kind of might have had that. But I had the same thing growing up. That I was an engineer. My mom was like, "You're going to get a job. You're going to college. You're going to get a paying career." And I just kind of I was in band in high school, but I was like, "This is fun, but you can't make a living doing this. You <laughs> right. can't. You can't be artistic 
forever put you know and do that so now getting back into comedy it's very much like oh okay i gotta rethink try to be artistic but i you know that creative side i'm trying to foster so mm-hmm. have, have you found it good do you feel like yeah I, I feel like it's always a part of me and finally i can embrace it right because like i feel like life somehow you always will lead you to the right way somehow because like i was put away from art or put away from dancing uh i think five years into working at a microsoft somehow i got exposed into this flash mob dance thing and the first time i tried <gasps> dancing i just thought, oh my god i love it like this that's is so what cool. I, that's what <laughs> i always want to do and then the, when i started dancing i just i like, feel free and then so i just got really into it and that's why i got into argentine tango i've been dancing for eight years wow. so we're going to talk about at noon about argentine tango and so I feel like it saved me because if I were just doing tech, I probably would just quit my job. Like, but then now actually I found it completes me because I still really like my daytime job. Like, I actually like being an engineer tech field. But if I don't have a creative outlet, then I will not be as a happy person. So sure. I I need comedy. I need dancing that make me feel more like whole and then like a. More emotional, stable, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's more emotional too. Like I've been really, like I'll see movies about people struggling. Like it could be anything. Any, um, oh, uh, perfect example. Greatest Showman. Have you seen this? That, that movie, Greatest Showman, um, about P.T. Barnum. Barnum. Yeah. But just oh, yeah. before that, when he like all those people and he gathers them up and stuff like that. I'm like getting emotional because I'm like, oh, they get to be artistic and they're breaking out of these lives and I don't know, it just, I start seeing that and that pursuit is actually being more meaningful now because of comedy to me. Like, and I appreciate other art forms of like musicians and what they've done and the work they're doing. It's just, I don't know, finding that side of me has been very opening for me. Yeah, and then, and actually, you know, traditionally, I think, you know, doing like comedy, if I told my Chinese parents, they probably were like, what are you doing? You have a life, why do you do that? But um, it's actually a really special moment when uh, when I told my parents about this. They didn't even know what stand-up comedy is because there's no stand-up comedy in China. But wow. they are very, very proud of me. Like, And then that's a moment I feel like, oh my God, they can accept me for who I am and appreciate who I am and they feel proud like That's when great. like when I sent them just a little clip of video they have no idea what I was saying <laughs> but then the, they feel like oh there are people laughing there are people clapping they feel like oh my god my daughter is like you know um, living well in the, yeah. in the, in the, she doesn't have to be an engineer to be happy to be successful um, so I'm happy to have that moment with my parents this is an uncouth question do you send them money um, I actually, um, I'm just curious. Yeah. I have no idea what the economy is like in China. I just assume because I'm dumb American that mm-hmm. like everyone's poor and works in an iPhone factory. <laughs> that's what I, there's like, a lot that's, of really rich people in China. Are there? Because yeah. when yes. I think when I think of, Many. I mean, the, the what Not we've been told from our government is like everything's produced like they make all our clothes they make all our iPhones and uh, and that's all you need to know about the Chinese like I have no idea I think it's great because I'm 100% right I would think you're you're super rich Asian like crazy rich Asians or your iPhone like I don't know the middle class of China I wouldn't know anything about that Um, yeah so I think I would just say my family doesn't cover all the case Um, I grew up in a family I think my grandparents they're hardcore communists and then my (laughs) my parents so like you know when I'm Grandpa on my mom's side, he was actually a mayor um, on one side. So, like, you know, they're very well-respected people, but they are they don't have money because if you work for the government, they don't pay you a lot, right? So, mm-hmm. I think growing up, we had reasonable life. Um, reasonable life, uh, not with a lot of money, but we 
compared to the rest of China, we're comfortable. But then if I compare here, oh my God, homeless people have better life than we did. You know. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, for example, you know, when I was in college, like. Like the the building get locked down, we cannot even go outside a building after 9 p.m. Right? Like there's no electricity after 9 p.m.、Oh. Uh, in the summer it was so hot, like people die. You know where I grew up, um, it's 43. So if I translate like 120 degree, um, and there's no air conditioning, <sighs> and it's you know like the conditions are really bad. And then the only way for us to sleep at night is to go out to the rooftop, and then you were bitten by mosquitoes. And then in the in the winter there's no heat. So I remember,、uh, you know, going to school. I have to do schoolwork, but my whole ten fingers have frostbite. Like they're just like carrots. Oh, wow. And then my feet、wow. were frozen. That's that's how I go to school. Yeah. So you know, so we had some like really really hard times.、Um, But these days is really interesting because my generation is the first generation that of Chinese that went through poor to rich. Like、uh-huh. my high school friends now, when I visit last year, like so two years ago, we had sort of a small reunion, and all my Chinese high school friends, they are like they have a lot of money.、Um, they actually consider people in America living in poor conditions.、Oh. So <laughs> I think you know there's a Chinese government did a really good job brainwashing first of all,、um, but then. <laughs> But they also think you know whatever you can have in America, we have in China. In a way, for the material world, it's kind of true because I think all the food, the money, like luxurious、um, brand of clothes, yeah, they have in China. They have it even better. But and then they also think surveillance is a good thing. Like my high school friends all think surveillance is a good thing. They said,、yeah. well, I don't commit crime and I don't care about privacy. And if there anyone, oh commit- surveillance, 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 surveillance.、Oh, yeah. yeah, they actually think it's a good thing. They think censorship. Well, a lot of Americans think so too. Yeah, because、um, <laughs> it's not. It hasn't impacted them. Yeah. So, so in a way, because they were so poor before, and now they have money, they have that. They just feel like, oh my god, the Chinese government is so great to change our lives. But、right? they can't have a podcast. They can't have a podcast. <laughs> have a podcast. <laughs> right? No, they, there's no free speech. Like you can't, you couldn't. They couldn't do something like this. If you well, you can have a podcast to say how great the Chinese government is,、ah, right? There we go. You cannot、right. say anything that the government doesn't like. Huh. Yeah, such yeah. a different experience. Just it's so. <laughs> so, do your friends in China know that you're a comedian?、Um, some of them don't know. I think、uh, actually, comedian just because it's such a new thing.、Um, I don't think many of my friends know、uh, in China. They don't know. My parents know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're so lucky here that stand up is a rich culture. But it's not like you can do、uh, like Trevor Noah talks about that. Like, oh yeah, he was in the first. Comedians in South Africa, but they you know just founding it, and he's like, yeah, just you know, and that idea that yeah, China doesn't have a stand-up community or anything like that, and it's wild that we we take for granted is so different. Would they be able? You would never even be able to start an open mic in China, right? Like if you got so I have these little portable PA's behind you, and they have battery life. Let's say that you go out. To a square, go out to Tiananmen Square, and you get the、uh, too much, and then you get you get your job, Rock or Max, and you're like, "Hey, everybody! Did everybody any ever eat their bunny? Like, if you if you started, would they shut you down? The police would come. 
Um, I think so. In 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 China, we have other comedy format. Like usually, it's one person or two person like talk to each other, and then they can they say, people will laugh. Like so, it's also written sketch comedy. But ah, I have sketch comedy. Okay. Yeah, but it's very like you will never touch any political, mm. any racy, like anything This to provoke. Thoughts. It sounds more like vaudeville. Like they're at that point in sure. the process of like I don't know. Like when you're saying two people talking and interacting, like it just sounds like that, like the 1940s vaudeville. Like you're like just saying the nice things, but you're not actually like thinking. You know? Yep. My wife's so crazy. How crazy is she? She cooked our bunny for dinner. Like they haven't had their 1950s Lenny Bruce. Like oh, saying obscene things and getting arrested. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But yeah, if you go tell them. Square trying to do anything, they will arrest you because it's a public place and a lot of like political movement is there. So there's right. always police there watching. Right. Yeah. Well, because your students really mean can can create and affect change, and it sucks. So that's the interesting thing. Tiananmen Square was it 89? What year was it? I can't remember. Uh, it's 89. And actually, there's something really interesting. It's like. Growing in China, learning history, we never learned that part. We never. Uh-huh. There is erased from any history books. Um, so in college, um, in a dorm room, one of because we're just a whole bunch of rebels. Like one of my classmates, he found some videos online about oh. 1989, right? So and he made the CDs. He burned the CDs and wow. he's selling. He started selling inside the campus, and I saw it, right? But within two hours, the campus police caught him. Wow! wow. Yeah, surveillance yeah. is real. Yeah, it was like that was like two thousand three, two thousand four. Wow! Yeah, and then so he was caught and he went to the police station and they got all the traffic locked and it's like, don't do this because you are lucky you got caught by us. Right, not the real police, the yeah. like the school police. Yeah. So I have a another question then because being back to what America is and what we have our own problems. It's like so we have so many people in prison here in the states. Is, is yeah. there a Lot of people in prison in China, or is that not? Because nobody, I don't ever think about that. That's I mean, I didn't even think about it too. We were talking about people are being arrested, but are they? I mean, they're locked up, or you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out because it's such a big problem here with, with our, racism too. It's, yeah, yeah, and it's tied to that, and it's yeah, it's 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 horrible. But then I was like, oh, so is there a large prison population in China? Honestly, I do not know. Just、okay. because I think any information like that, the government try to contain that information、oh. as much as they can. Yeah, yeah. So it's in a way that if you ask like a regular people, there's a oh I don't know, and they might not even think about that just because it's so masked out from the media. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Oof. Well, there we go. Sima, you want to wrap it up? Yeah. Well, I <laughs> on that happy note, I, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm so I've so enjoyed talking to you too. So, you now when are you performing?、Uh, I've actually done. I've、uh, I was doing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I'm just I'll be hanging out and seeing people. But I don't know, Bernice, do you have any more shows? I have one more tomorrow night at 5 p.m.、Um, it's under the theme dating a comic. Oh, dating, yeah, a dating a comic. <laughs> well, I didn't date a comic. I was just more、but、talking about person. Yeah, you're the comic. Yeah, you're the comic. Yeah, it works both ways. So, how do people? If somebody wants to watch you on YouTube, or they want to contact you, let's have each of you give your your contact、um, information. And anybody who's listening, we want you to contact these people. We want you、yeah. to watch them. 
Yeah, absolutely. We want you both to book of them. Really, you're really both of you. I've enjoyed both your sets all all weekend long. Really Thank funny you very stuff. Much. It's been awesome. But yeah, you guys have uh, Twitter's, yes, YouTube, social media. It's so, just Todd Kirkwood and at the. Word how do you of Todd, spell your name? T o d d k i r k w o o d. Todd Kirkwood and then at the word of Todd or at the word of Todd. Uh, is my online handle for Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. At the word of Todd? Yeah. Okay. Todd. Bernice? Um, I am, uh, you know, on Facebook and Instagram, Bernice uh, Jing, J-I-N-G. That's my real Chinese name. And uh, yeah, um, just like Y-E, like yes. But um, So you can look me up. I have, yeah, if you come to the live show, I made those little uh, cute bunny fridge magnet I can give out. And that has my social handle on it as well. <laughs> and your oh, and your funny it. tagline that uh, <laughs> sick pets make strong children. <laughs> it's so funny. It's, it's the giants or grammar used to say. That is funny. Yeah, you will all get the the magnet. <laughs> and the magnificent Pam. Oh, please. Thank you so yes, much, Pam. Thank you so much. It's been, been, been amazing. Festival. The yeah. festival is crazy. We still have two days left of the festival. People can listen to podcasts all afternoon. We have comedians coming in doing their hour-long podcasts. And then at 5 o'clock, 5 to to nine tonight we have shows so we have shows on the hour so five shows tonight they're all 50 minutes long and um tonight's themes are all about sort of like age so millennials versus gen xers one's called 23 and meh because those kids you know (laughs) 23 and meh and uh and there's a bunch other oh also over 40 hot as fuck there's a bunch of um comedian lady comedians here that are here that are all over 40 and they are hot ladies <laughs> so um we're gonna that show's happening tonight too but tickets are still available at mutinyradio.fm if you want to get them ahead of time or you can get them at the door for ten dollars and not pay that crazy service charge but hey thanks eventbrite for doing that you know like all that free online stuff i love that stuff now thanks for coding you're not coders you're engineers <laughs> different 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 skills but this has been great Thank you. I've so enjoyed having you and talking to you. And this is Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist from Everyday Conversations on Race for Everyday People. If you like what you heard today, then come to mutinyradio.fm and find more episodes and go to my website, uh, Race Convo. I almost forgot my website, www.raceconvo, convo like conversation, raceconvo.com. Until next time, Sima Lieberman, the inclusionist. of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutinyradio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Thank you.
Asiento. Take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket, March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Yeah. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. (laughs) 
Asiento. Take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket, March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. Little SF. Yeah. Welcome. Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5. Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter-offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Bender's is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Bender's Bar and Grill. 
Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips. Don't know anything about it. Sorry. <laughs> All so, on my limited view. Yes, every Tuesday from 12 to 2. Uh, oh, you can if you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah, and Google Play. And Stitcher. iTunes. Oh, you already said that. TuneIn Radio. Uh, Stitcher, you said that. Spotify. Oh, my God, there's just so many. And Overcast. Um, yes, you can also find us on social media, M as in Mary, L as in Larry, P as in Peter, podcast, MOV podcast is our handle. Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your review. Yes. Bye. Bye. That kind of sucked balls. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey.